0: Gaming NBS episode 154 coming to you August 29th, Tuesday. Player series games with no classes and asking the right questions. Welcome to Gaming NBS tabletop rpg podcast i'm one of your hosts sean
1: and i'm brett good to have you all here
0: sometimes she... i can be known as evil knievel crash A crash roads or... road rash road rash
1: the skid stuff like that
0: the skid yes <laughs> Which
1: doesn't sound nearly as they enticing as the this... other idea they call me <laughs> yeah, the that's... skid so we got. I got to ask, how are, and I know people have been bugging me, how are you doing? How's the wife doing? It's been a bit, but I
0: know. We are recovering. Uh, I have been out. I went to GeekCon Saturday because I found out Aloy LaSanta from Third Eye Games. Uh, we had him on the show for the PIP system that he yep. kick-started. And he, I'm like, dude, you can't just, like, I say you're in Madison. You got to let us know you're coming. He's like, I know. I totally spaced it. I had Gen Con. And like two months out, I got invited and I put it out there. And then I hadn't done anything since. And I'm like, all right. So I I, I got out on furlough for a few hours. So for those that are like wanting me in the public eye anytime soon, the, 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 <laughs> I just got a furlough, man. It, was, it wasn't like a whole day thing.
1: I think. Well, did you see Humphrey? Did he go too? Was he a geek he, was there, he
0: was there, but I didn't see him.
1: Oh, well, he was running around with the kids too. I think his daughters were milling around. But you got to hang out with the Lloyd for a little bit, so that's cool.
0: Yeah, and I saw Brian Berg. TP- I think he's at TPK Games and uh, Jason Sonia. He was done a Kickstarter. He's out of Milwaukee. He's kind of running some, selling some swag there. Um, so I hobbled my ass there. Well,
1: we don't have to go gory details. What matters is that you're able to get up and get you're getting back to work, so that's good. And Tam is recovering. That's
0: the big thing. Yeah. So thanks again for all the well wishes. The misdirected marks guys mentioned something on their last episode, and I let them know on Twitter to thank thank them and uh, everybody else uh, for those catching up and didn't know. Um, yeah, I was in a motorcycle accident. So we're recovering, and we shall survive. Um, but it was scary. Definitely scary. So, uh, GeekCon, yeah. I went so, there. It that was fun. Awesome. I had yeah. no
1: idea GeekCon was even happening. So someone on, like, oh, yeah, there's GeekCon Mass. I'm like, oh, yeah, is that more of a comic-y thing? Is there gaming there? I have no idea. And then I'm like, oh, Eloy's going, fuck me. It should have gone. Damn it, damn it, damn it.
0: The game room is relative. I mean, it's an okay size. I think they had literally three tables of Adventurers League. So it wasn't like the 60 that they're going to have at Game Hole Con. 60 well, of course not. Plus tables at Game Hole Con. <laughs> That's awesome. six zero. I talked to Joe Alfano. He's the local guy here who heads up a lot of the Adventure League stuff. 60, 6 0. That's a shit ton of tables, man. That's, that's a lot of tables. That's a lot of tables. And so, Geekon, uh my take: uh, young crowd, a uh, lot of anime, a uh, lot of costuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a little outside of my personal element, but uh, you know, I ran into Matt McElroy, which is uh, he's from One Bookshelf and Onyx Path, and okay, he was yep. there, and so I know Matt. He's a local dude. I haven't talked to him. Monica was there, Valentinelli, but I did not get to see her. I kind of moseyed off before that. Um, Yeah, so I wandered around a little bit. I sat in on Aloy and Matt, who, you know, how to get your game published kind of talk. It was like an hour, so that was fun. Uh, Didn't get to socialize with Aloy very long because he was definitely busy with, like, panels. So...
1: Well, cool. Glad you get out there. That's good. Representing it all. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, Gamehole Con, speaking of which, event registration is September 2nd, which is just like a week away.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> right freaking quick. Right after Labor Day, so.
0: So, make sure you go in, log in, put in your wish list. Sounds like you're going to be here, Brett.
1: So, yeah, I found out that all right, so there, are, I'm no doubt we have some, we have a number of people who I know are former military or active duty military. And I will, f- um, please forgive me right now if you are in a, if you are, are, are a military recruiter or are married to a military recruiter, but oh my God, this guy. Oh my God, this guy.
0: Uh, they're awful full of shit. Everybody will tell you. They're all, I mean, even I know, if they but... were one, they'll tell you we're full it's of just, shit.
1: How long is basic? It's six weeks. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. All right, whatever. Maybe think something's changed. I don't fucking know. I've never been in. What do I know?
0: Well, it's Air Force. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it could be four weeks. Yeah, it could like It could be. every week. It could be a, weekend. Week, could <laughs> be a weekend month.
1: <laughs> who knows? A Humphrey's going to punch us. Humphrey's going to sucker punch us, and, and then Mark Hunt is going to go, go up and dance on our heads.
0: But it doesn't matter because it's not going to hurt because he's from Air Force. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs>
0: so <anyway>. you know.
1: <laughs> anyway, wow, losing friends left and right. Anyhow. Oops. So, so the uh, recruiter gets a hold of the wife and I and says, hey, it's actually seven and a half weeks of basic. I go, like, oh, Okay, that makes more sense. And graduation is the week after Game GameHoleCon. So unless the government chooses to fuck with my convention, um, it looks like I'll be able to make GameHoleCon, which would be really, really cool. Which also means Susan is hoping to be able to grab my two little ones who will be in town. They're avid gamers. They want to get in on some kids track fun. So hopefully my little guys will be there, too. So that'll be cool. So I walk them around and pe- and uh I can meet people and hang out. It'll be fun. So so far so good. Unless there you the government go. chooses to screw me, which is completely possible.
0: Well, the military, it's yeah. It's uh stay flexible. <laughs> yeah, Adap- adapt and o- adapt and overcome is not is not simply a hey, there's an obstacle in front of you, you gotta get around it. It is literally like dude, adapt to the f- the the shit show that is the scheduling that the military has.
1: The horrible disorganization that is the U.S. military scheduling, yes. yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. So that's Game Ocon. I should be there, which will be awesome. Um, I, I mentioned this before. I'll say it again. I started talking. we um, will be talking to Chris directly this coming Wednesday uh, for some gaming and also some more Avalon Kickstarter stuff. We're still noodling out the timing for when we want to do it. It's kind of goofy. It's that, do we do it before Christmas, after the holidays, blah, blah, blah. So there's pros and cons on all sides. So we're sorting all that stuff out, workloads and who can handle what. And uh, more details to come as I get them. Uh, We're hoping for like a September, October, but we'll see what happens. It's definitely going to happen. Um, It just comes down to timing at this point. So once I know more, you all will know more.
0: So who is the artiste that you are choosing to illustrate this fine product?
1: So the cool thing that um, they've got John Arcadian from Numstu fame, and he's an encoded designs person, and he knows art, artists, knows tons of different folks. So they're roaming around looking for the right types of people to capture look and feel. So that's part of what I want to talk to Chris about on Wednesday is, hey, how's it going? You know, how, how are we looking for art and all that good stuff, too? So I've got sample ideas I've stolen from other people saying, hey, I like this type of look and feel. Does this type of thing work? Can we get something similar? So that's happening out there in the background as well. Again, part of the whole development process.
0: So my my personal take, take it for what it's worth, which I'm sure you're not, you're just going to shut down as soon as I say that. But I think, like, well, I hope that you have a very huge, and I would only imagine as much, that you would have a huge say in the art choices and the artist style because I In my humble opinion, I've seen certain products on shelves next to each other. And I know that you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. But? But when you look at role-playing games, there are some books that literally when you look at the art and you want to convey a particular feel for that particular product, and especially like a setting— I can't imagine. I, I think it weighs quite heavily. Oh, absolutely! It,
1: it totally does. I, I absolutely agree with you. It's kind of, there was, what the hell is that game? White Wolf had a game. It was their fantasy game. Christ, I can't remember what the hell it was called. Someone's going to scream it right now at their car star, and I can't remember what it is. Anyway, um, I didn't like the art. It had a very anime feel, and it's just not my style. Exalted. It, <clears throat> exalted, thank you. And it tuned me off from the game because I right. didn't like the art. Um, other books, I'm like, oh, this art looks interesting. It does draw your eye. Having a decent cover is... There's a reason why there's covers on books with really cool art, because it wants to draw your attention. The other piece is when you're talking a gaming book, you're not only talking about get my attention, but the proper art helps to say, this is what the game feels like and looks like. The world has this type of look and feel. If you... um, I can't have, like, stacks of dead babies, because it's a little excessive, but right. you also shouldn't have... In a dark and gritty fantasy noir type of world, having pretty flowers and butterflies and dancing kittens is probably a bad bad idea. As amazing right. as that artist's work may be, doesn't fit here. Thank you, sir and or madam. Move on, you know.
0: Right. Right. So I am interested to see how, what comes out of that.
1: Yeah. So well, yeah. hopefully it'll be good. If not,
0: I'll be yeah. sad. Well, let's not make Brett sad because we all know what happens <laughs> when that Occurs. Yeah, it's just then seeing a grown man weeping
1: in a corner. It's just it's just it's pathetic. Not really weeping. Not really. <laughs> yeah, no weeping. I, I get all shooty. Um... Shooty, <laughs> <laughs> shooty, shoot, 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 shoot,
0: make shoot face.
1: Ah, uh, all right. Shall all right. we? Let's do, Let's
0: move on. Right, random encounter. All right. Uh, who wants to start? You can. All right. So Michael Parker and Roger Brasslett both comment on Google Plus about our last episode, 153, which we talked a little bit about, Emotional Bleed. So Michael says, you know, I always try to put some feels into any game I play or GM. I really do. But it's the goddamnest thing. Most of the time, those heavier moments go by the wayside for more jovial ones. It's not a bad thing, and it has a lot to do with the people I play with, but I, of, I do often want to delve a little deeper into some gnarly emotions, and it can be tough to find those types of gamers. A lot of times it becomes a more internal exploration for me if I want that experience. Glad to have you gentlemen back in my feed. I'm glad the pomp persevered. (laughs) So, yes, thank you, Michael. And, um, you know, Roger goes to comment, you know, the players I'm used to react uh, to an emotional bleed with immediate thoughts of vengeance. Uh, quote-unquote, they left my boyfriend hanging by his entrails. Actually, that's a question. They left my boyfriend hanging by his entrails. We're hunting them down right now. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I, can I can totally see, see that. that. In, in the games, yeah. Michael's got a good
1: point with the, the jovial stuff, depending on the group sometimes. Um, <clears throat> the DCC campaign I wrapped up uh, yesterday with my with my home group, the parts of it that were more serious plotty driven and so forth were fun, but the the jovial ones the the wackier scenes and the things that were kind of crazy from the random charts or something those were the ones that stuck out in everybody's minds far more than the rest of it um but that was yeah just what it is in that case i I get where that would happen
0: yeah it is it's a tough uh, it's tough uh because yes because again I think we, we I touched on it a little bit. There, Some people go to game for levity. They want to get away from the day-to-day shit. And if they go to their game and it becomes ultra-serious, it's, it's just not a place they necessarily want to be. And, you know, if it's horror or whatever type of, you know, emotion, usually dramatic in some point or another, you know, they don't want to deal with that
1: shit. No, I get it. And uh, it's just, it's not the escape you're looking for. Some people find, we all find pleasure and escape in different things. So, yeah. All right. Crimfan also commented, excuse <clears throat> me, on emotional bleed. In my experience, says Crimfan, this is one of the really huge problems that can affect a group. I like some emotional bleed myself, though it can be hard to manage for some players, particularly less emotionally aware ones who have trouble keeping themselves and their characters distinct. I have a feeling this is hard to figure out in a session zero because I suspect a lot of people won't really be sufficiently aware of their own needs or desires as a player. If you've got a group of beer and pretzels types and a real role player is going to have problems fitting in or vice versa. I should say real role player, kind of, you know, in quotes there, I should say that. Oh, he goes on to say at the end of your talk, yes, the GM really matters too. It's really easy to have the power, uh, have the power plays and the other issues show up. You guys said this at the end, some emotional bleed, moral dilemma, etc. goes a long way. Not every session needs to have a super optimized tactical encounter, super detailed NPCs or locations. Sometimes just stomping on goblins isn't a bad thing, even if it's a pretty heavy role-playing game. You really need tension and release. Which pretty much echoes what you just said, Sean. So, good stuff.
0: Yeah. Yes. Very eloquently put. Uh, Michael P. Uh, asked for some advice on Google+. So he posted this. I don't know if you chimed in or not, Brett. So I'm hoping this is a good place to post about this. This is my first for real post on Google+. So hey, man, all right, dude. I've been running some starter DCC games for friends. A lot of us are spread apart or just plain busy, so gaming happens once a month in about six to nine months out of the year. Because the games are few and far between, I've been trying to develop a way to make drop-in, drop-out gameplay easy for anyone that wants to sit down at the table. I have to thank Jason Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, f- patron of the show, f- friend. Yeah, he's a good guy. Gambler. We learned that. It. Lucky I gambler. Said it. I said it. Yeah, and
1: he's a gambler. I know. He knows when to hold them. He knows when to fold them, when to walk away and when to run.
0: He does. Well, he should. He better.
1: <laughs> Especially with the clothes he wears in those games. Anyway, carry on.
0: All right. He's got a lucky charm. He does. Watch that thing. Uh, for highlight, he wanted to thank Jason for highlighting the West Marches style of play on his podcast, and my planning seems to be going in that route. <clears throat> I really don't want to worry that much about hex maps. I'd rather run games as point crawls because I feel it will be easier for me to notate locations on a map as play progresses. My dilemma is about towns. I have a general idea about how I want them to work. Safe havens slash training areas slash supply points slash job boards slash recruitment areas. More or less, towns will act as save points. I just don't know how to make them unique. What can I do to spice up my towns so that they don't end up the Walmart of my campaign? I
1: did comment on... In on this one, and I know that I think Tim Deshane got in on it, and a few others. There's some really good components. Hobbs and I got in on it. Um, One of the things I threw out was like sourcing the table. You know, you don't have to populate the town with a bunch of places, people, and things until such times the PCs need them or ask for them. When players say, "Hey, is there X here, or where in the town would I go to find Y?", Um, then you can provide the answer or pull from a list of ideas that you may have. A number of other folks, folks good God, um, had some good ideas. Uh, Michael P. went back and forth in this as well. Um, Gordon Cranford, Tim DeShane, as I said, Amanda Ulvich, Rick Frazier, and uh, Gordon Cranford got in on it too. So it was all good stuff.
0: So we'll have a link in the show notes to put in your two cents if you have a Google Plus account and want to chime in there. And if you don't, that's okay. You can email us, and we'll read it out loud for Michael P. on the next show.
1: Absolutely. But
0: my two cents, I think you could, again, like Brett said, source the table. You And sourcing the table could involve, I mean, if you want to have, like, five towns and you have five different players that tend to kind of show up, you know, maybe one doesn't one month but comes back the next, you could always – you know, put, like, have one player just say, okay, we're going to, what's the town name? Brett?
1: Uh, Brettville. Yeah, it's uh, Westland. There you go. Yeah.
0: Whatever. Great. What's it known for? You know, and just start, like, asking questions, probe, 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 probe. Then you get to town, and then you're like, okay, uh, you, hey, why are you guys there? Or, hey, give me the shop that you are visiting or uh, a significant npc that is there that you know and before you know it you're probably gonna have like shit man you could have your campaign setting all freaking sourced at the table dude
1: yeah yeah absolutely can
0: and then you could get a podcast yeah (laughs) yeah and then talk about dumb shit for a while and then around episode 154 maybe 170 start talking about a kickstarter man and publish that sucker
1: Boom! I like it.
0: Boom. Boom. Money, retirement, done.
1: Yes. The big wadges of cash that come from uh, publishing role-playing games.
0: I can't believe I even know Brett. I mean, I knew Brett before...
1: Before he had a Kickstarter. I knew him before. Before, man. before he had a it Kickstarter. Yet, so... He had
0: a name in the industry. Like He's an industry guy now. Oh, Jesus Christ.
1: Anyway, moving on.
0: Alright, main topic, moving on. Main topic. What's up, Brett? I didn't mention this was like a player series.
1: Yeah, it's a player series, man. Tony Baker had hit us up with this a while back, and he had two questions. One of them was around how do you make a character in a game with no classes? Um, He said, I think uh, this merits discussion as players new to this style of game often have difficulties forming a concept. The other thing he mentioned is, as players, how do you even ask the right questions? He said that I find in games I play, and I often serve as translator between the other players and the GM to help enable the players to get their point across. Comes fairly natural for me, says Tony, but I think it can be more of a challenge for some other players. So I thought we'd kind of tear into those each of those pieces and see what we can come up with. Some of it, I think, is it, it's one of the things that sounds like, well, obviously you would do this, but. When something is new to you, right? If you've played a game with classes or templates of some kind, and then you suddenly playing GURPS or something that, or um, GURPS is the first one that comes to mind. But something that doesn't have the prepackaged approach, um, it can be a little daunting, you know, knowing you have too much or whatever it is. And then again, how to ask questions as a player. And I think they're, I think I'm breaking it into two different chunks, but uh, we'll see where we go from here.
0: So, all from the player perspective.
1: Absolutely. I want to stick. It, I want to stick with the players' perspective. We'll obviously lean into our GMing tools a little bit, saying, "Hey, when I GM, I like it when players do X." So that would be handy for you to do, perhaps. We're trying to think of it from the players' perspective.
0: Now, specific games that may deal with this or or be in, be in this particular bucket,
1: uh huh, are. Oh, you're looking for me to to provide some?
0: (laughs) Well, I was thinking, like, what games would these people be faced with where this scenario would present itself? Savage Worlds. Right. Okay. Basic Um, role-playing?
1: Basic role-playing. GURPS. um, The old champion system. God, there's other other ones that are along those lines. And I can't... Amber, I mean, kind of, it's out of print. Um, God, there's other ones that are similar to them. And I just, off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of it. Savage Rules is one that immediately came to my mind, though, where you have a plethora of concepts and things you can choose from, but you don't necessarily have start off having to pick from a template. You can, but they don't always exist. You got any others?
0: Uh, I know there are many more, but I think those are some of the big ones. Because, I mean, if you take
1: even something... Even more templatized than d and D, I I would say it would be like Dungeon World, where a uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game, we have a playbook that says, I'm this guy, I'm her, I'm him, I'm her. And you have, <clears throat> it's a very specific thing that you grab. You don't get to modify the hell out of that very much.
0: Somebody's screaming into the mic, fate. So oh, thank f- you, thank you. I'll say fate. Yes, fate My, as well. Like Drescher may be going, fate! <laughs> you <laughs> like, dumbasses, fate. what the hell fate is wrong got, with you? Got fate in there.
1: Yep, fate, fate core, fate accelerated. All that good stuff,
0: yeah. Um, so, and then if somebody else is yelling another game into the mic, and absolutely. you're right, you're absolutely right, exactly. <laughs> you're right. Yep, that one. too. That one
1: too. That one too. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, yes. So, Sean, when you when you are faced with this game, someone says, "Hey, I'm going to run Fate or Savage Worlds or something." How? What do you think of when you go to make a character? Do you what's the what questions are you asking, or what are you trying to figure out before you start?
0: I got to know the type of game we're playing, Brett. Brett, what are we playing? What are you running? So what what is the setting? Like, what's this supposed to be? What time? Like, technology level? Oh,
1: I'm thinking uh, um, 1980s Cold War, um, spies in the uh, Behind the Iron Curtain.
0: Okay. Is it, like... So- Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy or Jason Bourne? Ah, see, I'm
1: thinking a little more Bourne, kind of Tinker Taylor. I like that whole wilderness of mirrors, wonkiness. Who do you trust? But we gotta have some action, right? Because it's gonna be a Savage Rules game. We want some good action? So, so action. So there'll be there'll be a little bit more action, but it's shooting not shooty,
0: shooty, shooty, and you know.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, you'll be beating the crap out of people and shooting. Yeah. Clubs. But it's not like James Bond, crazy gadgets and stuff like that. Not that far.
0: Okay, so not like. My car turns into two skis and I like all separates from each other and I like and find myself skiing down the mountain.
1: No, nothing like that. No, you don't. No, no, no. That's too much.
0: Motorcycles and skis and machine guns. No, nothing like that. Okay, good to know. So that would be huge. Yep. What's the setting?
1: Simple stuff. Right. But honestly, even this kind of <laughs> the nice part about this question that Tony gave us is asking the right questions. The second piece is what Sean just did there is, you know, What's the setting about? What are, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, sometimes the game master like, "Hey, we're gonna we, run a we're gonna run a spy game." Do, you're like, there's 18 versions of spies I can think of. What what type are we at? Or what type are we up against here?
0: How do I win? Oh, it's a
1: role playing game, Sean. You can't win. You win by having fun. That's how you win, Sean. No,
0: nope, Brett. Brett said it. Brett said it. Not me. You can't win, players.
1: <laughs> no, you can't, you can't win. win. I'm sorry. Was this my game? No, you can't win.
0: I change the rules every time somebody sits down
1: well it's easier that way it's more fun for me it's a power trip really
0: (laughs) yeah it's all about that freaking railroad man that's another question yes
1: is this a railroad is this a railroad are you gonna (laughs) fucking railroad us you dick hey Sean Sean is this another railroad And, and can I just buy my ticket now can I get hey, it am first? I buying a
0: ticket? Am I, am I buying a ticket? Hey, am I, is it destiny or free will?
1: You know, and even if you don't go that harsh, there's the, <laughs> the questions around is it sandboxy? Do you have a story? You have a plot kind of thing in mind that we can muck our way through? Or is it we do whatever we want and you conform around us? Those types of questions are, are fair too. I think the biggest thing when it comes to a game with no classes to focus on that for a second is that. When you look at Savage Worlds or GURPS or Fate and you say, I have unlimited options. Not necessarily. To Sean's point with the questions, you have setting parameters. Don't make space orc ninjas in a modern spy setting. right? That's not not a good idea. Um, just because you have all the tools and all the GURPS splat books or all the different um, Fate settings and so forth doesn't mean that a Dresden character would fit in a Fate um Spy game or whatever, what, what have you, I mean, or your Savage Worlds, whatever. The rules may be the same, but your supers game versus a Shintar high fantasy epic thing is not necessarily the same. Excuse me. So finding out what it is you're going to be playing, and I've always told people when they've started, have you played role-playing games before? If they have, I say, well, what have you played? Let's say they say D&D or I've played uh, Dungeon World or the, okay, so what kind of characters do you like to play in those games? Well, when I've played, I always like fighters. Okay. Um, I can help you make a fighter type character even in a spy setting running Fate or Savage Worlds. I really like Rangers. Okay, long distance, a ranger type of thing in this setting would be X. Or we've always played God help you, we always <laughs> we always played, you know, Riffs. Oh wow, Palladium Riffs. Wow, okay. Mm. You like glitter boys, huh? Well, mm, that's gonna be a tough one. Probably, you know, this is that part of working with your game master and the other players at that session zero, but trying to figure it out. If you get, and this is if you're fortunate, right? You're you're a player that has a number of different games under your belt that you can draw from your different tropes, or, hey, I like to play, you know, dwarven warriors. Is there anything even close to that here, or you, you've got a feel for something you like? So I find that sometimes when players look at the book and they're like, I don't even know where to begin. That is a place where some of the experienced players begin thinking, what kind of character do I like and would that what would I have to do to make that character fit this setting? Oh, he's not a dwarf. He's this other he's, you know, just a he's a he's a brick cuz it's a superhero game. Okay, I'll, I'll make a brick. I'll do that instead. And um that that type of approach works. So Sean, when is that does that make sense to you or do you how do you
0: help? Yeah. You got to pick though. Role mm-hmm. you're gonna be in this group of players, depending on my, that's another thing. Like, how many players are there? Right? If there's, and does balance come into like? Do you need a balanced party? Like, do you need people to be different to make sure all bases are covered?
1: Yeah. So if you're playing Shadowrun, do you have the uh, the street mage, the decker, the rigor, the uh, street samurai? And what else? What, what else might well, you need? You know, I don't so know.
0: You're you're talking. You're getting into classes.
1: Yeah, but that that same type of thing is taking that class approach and saying, "Well, we're running a spy game. I could really use a wheelman. All right, it's kind of like, kind of like a rigor. It's a, the function. Yes, thank you. Think about the function. The function that you need to provide. Yep.
0: Yes, is the shit that you are. The obstacles that you're going to encounter. Your group. Yes. Going to be overcome. With with anybody playing any type of character, or are, is there going to have to be a particular function aligned with each one? So that way, if you do run into, I got to be, oh, it's drive chase scene. Mm-hmm. Can Can I, with drive one, or a 40% drive, like
1: is this viable (laughs) right
0: is it viable within the scope of what this game is about or do you need to be wheel man wheel person i guess
1: yeah i mean that's even in like a knight's black agents game right are you the bag man are you the face man are you the you know we've talked about spy things before on the show right um the other thing is that don't how do i say this is that you can the biggest fear i run into or not fear the biggest kind of deer-in-the-headlights look that people get is the, the options are just so broad. So by doing this and having this discussion with the other players and the game master, asking these types of questions helps you to narrow your field of choice. Oh, it's a spy setting, Cold War, behind the Iron Curtain. Um, are we Americans or just is it all Europeans or South Americans? How are we?
0: Right. Are we all on the same country team? Yes. Or... Are we in different countries, and are we all on the same team, or are we all different countries and maybe not on the same team? exactly we are on the same team, but maybe it's not like I got ulterior motives
1: correct so asking those questions help you figure out what niche you should fit into, and the other thing then too is that if you in my experience, niche protection, not every games are good, not every game is good with this, and by niche protection. Um, when we say that, it means basically you have a set of skills and a job that you would perform, and traditionally the other players don't encroach in, th- in that job set much or at all. So the other thing um, to do is that when you're talking with the other players at your session zero or or whatever, is making sure that when you are building that character and you come up with some concepts... Say hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is anybody else doing something like that too? You go and hands go. How many guys, How many? How many drivers do we have? Four hands go up. Fuck, we have a lot of drivers. Um, maybe as fast and the furious is where we're at now. I don't know. Um, Tax- taxi cab, New York. Exactly.
0: Scenario. <laughs>
1: it's, it could be different. Um, I do believe though that the questions you asked initially of like the game masters, like what's the setting, like what are we, what are we supposed to be doing here, and so on, those are key. And then, don't the real simple thing is, I always tell people, even if they've never played a role-playing game, think about it like, is Jason Bourne? Okay, was there a character, you liked those movies? Yes, I did like them. That's why I told invited you to play, ah, ha, ha, yes, that's why you're here. Who did you like in there, besides Jason? Oh, I really liked this person, because they were super good at this thing. Nicky, I think was the one uh, handler he had for a while. Oh, great. Yeah, you liked her? That's cool. Oh, you know what? I like the bad guy the Russian who was trying to kill him in the one movie. Sure. Okay. That type of skill set. Or whatever. Um, helping them pick from tropes or things that they're comfortable with, and then dragging that into the game. But find something that you're comfortable with, and then see what you can do to use the system, be it Savage Worlds or Fate or whatever, to build yourself that character.
0: Makes well, sense? The, the, I think there are two ways to approach this. So I think what we have discussed discussed so far is one way and that is seems to align more mechanically i think it starts out conceptually starts to get drawn into the mechanics piece of the game so are well, you saying you thought gonna... of something
1: i haven't thought of is that what you're trying I to do right that. now
0: i have man all right let's all right there's a... the other part is the the role playing like not oh. not mechanical wise but do you want to be talky talky person do you want to be a smart person or do you want to be the the aggressive, you know, forego questions, punch faces first? Okay. So the, the persona of the role that you want to play. Because then that can also lead to, so if you're like, well, I want to be kind of a, a quiet, shy, I don't want to talk much. Like maybe it's like, the teller of pen and Teller, right? But then you aren't going to be the face person. Correct. You're not going to be the leader. You're not going to be the diplomat.
1: You could still be like the, oh, my God, world's greatest sniper, shoot a fly in the ass at 200 meters. You could still be that person. You just don't talk. Correct. So that's a very good point. Yeah, it's when you're – some of these other game systems that have these things will have social skills or different – Role play e aspects versus all you know combat shooting mechanics and how you cast magic or whatever. So taking that approach helps take that from a what job will I be doing, but what is my personal approach to that job? Right. Are you the computer hacker who has the bright green and pink mohawk who sits there is <clears throat> crazy hacker guy from the movies Nutball, or are you that quiet suit and tie person who sits there? And while he's supposed to be doing his CPA job, he's actually spoofing CIA networks to get in and do stuff. There's all sorts of different ways to do that. So, yeah, I like that. That's a good idea, too, is not only once you've kind of hammered, you don't have, one doesn't have to come before the other, but either are good starting places. Yeah. I like that. Some of this even, I think some of that stuff to Tony's, to Tony's question, you know, where sometimes people have difficulties making a concept when there's no classes in the game. I don't think it's the questions really aren't that much more difficult than um, when you are, when I'm looking at one of those, it doesn't really strike me as that much more different than when I'm playing a game that has classes or codified groupings of some kind. Um, My key then is exactly what you said. Oh, I'm going to play the rigor and I want to make sure that my rigor has a different personality because I like this type of personality better. So then buying whatever whatever social traits or whatever that system may or may not have to help you conform to the personality type that you want.
0: Right. And in your example, you could prioritize the features of your character. In which case, in your example, mm-hmm. rigor, rigor guy, you know, futzing around with drones or whatever. But you also don't want to play Shadowrun and a rigger. And the reason you want to do a generic classless system is because you want a rigor that can shoot people or you want a rigger that can punch people. And one system may put you more in a silo than the generic system. So you have the flexibility in the generic system. But I think in the end... You're still going to have like, well, what is your priority? Like, because you could be a jack of all trades in some of these systems.
1: Yes, but you'll you will be a master of none. Somebody else who's, you know, it's just that's how it works.
0: That's exactly right. Right. So you're going to have some type of economy about points and allocation, and you know whatever you're going to have to. So in Savage Worlds, you pick hindrances, which will give you points that allows you to pick up, you know, skills. But you know, you got it's a trade off.
1: Yeah, you're right, and it's kind of that that moment when to get your brain wrapped around it from a player's perspective is, I'm interested in this type of personality combined with somebody who punches people in the face. I'm diff- interested in this type of personality combined with a socialite. This type of personality combined with um, you know a spy or whatever. So having those pieces will then help guide you through buying and purchasing and so forth. You can obviously change or tweak your concept as you go along. But having that concept sorted out, say, oh, what kind of job do I want to do? And what personality do I have while I do that job? Get those two things sorted out, and then you can dive in and start spending points.
0: And, and yes. Yes, I agree. Okay. And I think, unfortunately, on some of these, you will realize that you are delving into like a predefined class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the end, it, you're going to be leaning towards something that is probably defined in a certain particular system, right? Like, you may, more than likely, and that's okay. Unless it's a really crazy setting. Like, maybe it's like eclipse phase or something where you're like transhumanism and... You know, you can move your brain to different things and download backups of your brain and your persona into different bodies and all kinds of stuff. Then you're starting to get into some really weird shit. <laughs> True enough. Because then your generic system's like, holy fuck! I was like a brawler with eight arms, and now I'm like a freaking blob of some kind. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, now I'm a now
1: now I'm a Dralisite. Nice. This is this is wonderful. Jellulites right. are from Star Frontiers, by the way um oh,
0: okay i have that game
1: do you awesome we should play i haven't read it oh my god well, I, anyway bought it at a thrift
0: store for like 15 bucks
1: that's right you did yeah we gotta play that shits were not
0: even broken man oh, awesome that's... i know it's in great shape
1: it's Anyways. terrible it's terrible we'd, but fun we'd... anyhow so i think that's uh, from a concept perspective that's if sean and i were going to be players with that type of classless game system we would bring our no class selves to that game and then approach it as such. Now this dovetails nicely into the other question around asking the right questions. And I think from what I see, when I have players at my table that are doing this well, and it's not just questions during character generation. Those are very player to game master out of out of game type questions. Hey, I want to make sure I have enough points in Punch Punch the Face. Um, is this enough? What's good for Punch the Face skill? Yeah, you've got five dots. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, you can totally punch the face. That's great. Thank you. I need to know that. Asking good out of game questions, I think, is very simple. When it comes to in game questions, is where things can get a little trickier for for players. What I notice, some of the a good generic kind of a player question when they're stuck. Or they're trying to find words or whatever, the player will say something along the lines of, you know, as a wood elf ranger, do I know anything about manticores that could help us with this problem? You know, you're hunting a manticore, you know, there's a manticore supposedly in the woods, and you ask that question. It's an open ended question, but it's giving your credentials to the game master to say, hey, remember, I'm a wood elf and I'm a ranger, we're in the wild, we're hunting a manticore. Is there anything I know that could help us here? The game master may then say, "Oh well, you know, give me a give me a give me a wisdom check, or give me an animal handling, or whatever it is that that the game master she decides to throw at you." And then you roll it, and she says, "Oh yes, um, you know that they um, sometimes they have poisonous tails, or they have spikes I can shoot, or something." Okay, great, helpful or not, or you fail and you don't roll well enough, or or you don't, or or whatever comes of it then. But that is one type of. Player question. I think this might be where where Tony's going to. And Tony, if if I miss the mark on this, let me know. But that type of thing is that investigative component of games that can be very frustrating for players. I've seen people at the table when I'm playing when they're trying to figure something out, and they're like, "Well, well, how big is it? Well, it's huge. It's got to be like 10 to 15 feet tall." You think it's a troll? Well, is it a troll or isn't it? You know, it's kind of that blizzard <laughs> attitude. They say, well, um, you know, Ragnar is a dwarven warrior who grew up. Would he know it's a troll? Oh, yeah, good point, Sean. Yeah, Ragnar definitely knows it's a troll. Ragnar screams, troll! And the whole group, uh, you know, acts accordingly because they've all heard the tales. Um, So that's one thing I have found is a very kind of generic player-facing question. That When you ask a question, ask it with, you know, sometimes people don't like to talk in first person. You know, or to just say, well, you know, as a wood elven ranger, I know for a fact that manticores do X. Because, again, depending, some games may let you do that, and some game masters may be totally open to that, and some may not. Um, one way to find out is saying, as a wood elven ranger, do I know anything about manticores? And Sean says, well, Brett, um, yes, you do. What do you know about manticores, Brett? Oh, shit, he's searching the table. Fuck, uh, I know that they do this, this, and this. I'm pretty sure that's true, Right and then Sean can add color back and forth. So I find that asking that question in that way opens a lot of different doors. Sean, do you have any thoughts or examples around that, or what are you thinking?
0: No, I think that's something that you would bring up, obviously, in play. Yeah, absolutely.
1: When you've got players at the table, do you ever see gaming conventions or even with your home groups and stuff, anybody kind of struggling to get questions across or points when it's trying to describe something or explain something from the character's point is of view, play- either from uh, the character's or the player's point of view.
0: Mm. Well, they would, they would ask the GM. One thing, one thing I think may, you may be getting at is like Star Trek. So I bring up Star Trek or science fiction because, especially Star Trek. I won't go into science fiction because I think if you play Traveler you can you can it's like kind of a predefined potentially to predefined. Well, maybe not.
1: Well, anyway, setting. We'll start with Star Trek. We'll start there.
0: Star, the reason I bring up Star Trek is because you are probably playing a character that is in the 24th century or whatever it takes place that knows certain things about certain worlds and then there is exploring the unknown. And Trying to get that across to a group of players, so Brett and I, I know this is going to be all over the place, but Brett and I were talking about, oh, over time, some of the mystery and suspense and coolness and wonderment of games like D&D have maybe faded on us because when a creature's described to us or the DM says, oh, you're... Ambushed by a bunch of goblins, we know what goblins are. We know how to kill them. We know how many hit points they have. We know their armor class. We know, you know, they're low level plebes, blah, blah, blah.
1: And then the clever DM says, Oh, it looks like this. Oh, it's a Kelpie. Kelpie. I know what a Kelpie is. You know, it's like this right. weird. People do that.
0: Right. But when you're like Star Trek, everything is like literally unknown. Like you do a scan and something comes back, and then your players are like, Okay. Um, Now, I haven't read the new Star Trek game all the way through or anything. I'm sure there's ways around that. But at the same time, asking those questions and then maybe not getting answers to sink your teeth into to determine what you should be doing or how to approach it. So in other words, a perfect example is like if you were playing Star Trek for the first time and you never saw the series and the GM threw you the Borg and put the Borg in front of you and you're like okay yeah you f- they're coming they're going they're going to they're starting to attack you and you shoot them and it does some damage and you shoot them again and it does nothing cuz
1: what do you mean come- it does nothing what 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 exactly does it do do they right. like does it just like fizzle out does my gun they're, not work
0: they're reconfiguring shit they're adapting to everything
1: so the physical body changes what do you mean they're adapting i don't understand right. that this is, this is where the panic this is where the panic sets in.
0: That's when shit hits the fan man and you should like holy fuck we're in a lot of trouble. Um so I think it's some of that kind of questioning that you can pose but still go and get answers and then still go, I do not know what to do with this shit that this GM has just given me and you're like and you sit back as a GM going, Oh, I gave him everything I I gave them everything they needed.
1: <laughs> tee hee hee.
0: Right, right. T hee hee. I gave you everything I got written down. You know. <laughs>
1: Watch those fuckers. So run... <laughs> Watch those fuckers squirm.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's off the beaten path of what we're talking about, but
1: well, it is similar. There now, there's a piece where you ask the question, and you say, "So, oh my God, it's reconfiguring. The weapons don't work anymore. What else?" And if the game master is doing his or her job, they'll look and you say, y- "You can stand there and figure it out." Or you could fight, or you could try to run away from the 50 of them that are charging at you right now. Oh, yeah, I'll figure this out back on the ship. See ya. Right? It's sometimes that <laughs> that response back. And players, in kind of helping each other, I have seen this happen where one player is really, a couple players are caught up in the moment like, wait a minute, what do you mean the dragon doesn't, it doesn't, what? That doesn't make any sense. How about this? I mean, does it do this? Does it do this? And someone looks across the table and goes, We can stand here and fuck around all day trying to figure this out, or we and die, or we could flee and figure out what the problem is. Let's just get out of here. Oh yeah, good point. Everybody takes off. And I think that's one of those cases where even in my my silly example, the Manticore, as a wood elven ranger, what I know about manticores. Well, you know this, or the game master says, Tell me what you do know. And then if you find out that you're wrong or that the information is not uh, exceptionally helpful or whatever, it is what it is. And um, you need to accept that, that sometimes your character may not have all of the data. And as a player, then, what I have seen people do, saying, okay, so you're telling me that, you know, you know, Legolas only knows so much. This is what he knows. I, Brett, know that there's a lot more to know about this because I've read the Man- Monster Manual a thousand times. But my elf does not okay, I will try to act accordingly. You know, doing that is helpful from a player's perspective and helps to coach the rest of the group and show the game master that you're paying attention you're trying. The other thing that happens is that even in a game is that players will sometimes say, I'm going to do this. And... Then the game master says, okay, give me a roll, DC, DC 25. This is tough. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, DC 25? And then they, the, the brakes come on. So sometimes the question is, I want, you know, Ragnar to do this thing. I'm, I'm going to use my acrobatics because of this. I'm going to use blah, 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 whatever it is I'm going to do. Or I'm in Star Trek, I'm going to use my tricorder. Based on all the knowledge I have, I'm going to do this and try to pull all this data I can. <sighs> How would I do that? What 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 role do you want me to make? Is that a tricorder check? I'm making this shit up. Yes. Yes, it is, Sean. Go for it. Instead of saying, I do X, explain what you're trying to accomplish as the player when you ask the question. I'm trying to accomplish this thing. I think this would do it for me. Am I correct? Especially when it's new. If you've not done it before, you look at your character sheet and you say, wow, you know, you know, Fleetfoot the elf. She's got, a, you know, a plus five in acrobatics. Um, so I'm going to use my plus five in acrobatics. I think I can um, kind of parkour off this wall and flip over the bad guy. I think I could totally do that. Does that make sense? And the game master says, sure, give it a shot. I'll give you a 20 DC. You basically roll 15 or higher and you got it. Bam. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to do this. They tell you to roll something. They say, well, give me a roll. It's a DC 20. Oh, crap. well, I rolled a 14. Well, no, you didn't make it. Oh, wait, I have acrobatics. Uh, all right, yeah, okay, you kind of retconning like that and so on. It happens. But one way to ease the player frustration is, as the player, explain your intent and how you're trying to accomplish it, um, either first person, third, or however you want to describe it, whatever level in the game you're at. But when you do that, from a qu- you're asking the game master and the rest of the players, does this make sense? I want to try this. Is this legit? And it's another way for you as a player to then kind of source the table because the game master may say, I don't know if Acrobatics will let you do that. And then your rules lawyer Alpha goes, hey, no, 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 actually, Acrobatics will let you do parkour more specifically as a parkour rule. Oh, it has parkour rules. Oh, fuck, let's look that up. Um, Well, by doing that, you're asking the questions before the problem arises. Does that make sense, Sean? Does that make my? Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Got really quiet there, Sean. I don't know what's going
1: on. Where's my... Don't happen to you. I don't know either. Anyway, while you're fucking around with that, um, well, I have seen... That is where I've seen more arguments and fights at the table, if you will, than a lot of other things, where somebody has a really cool thing they want to do, and instead of... I, I, I liken it... Actually, after playing DCC, this reminds me of it. My buddy's got a dwarf, and his dwarf has, sword and, has the sword and board skill. He's got the blade and the shield. And he has a mighty deed. He um, he rolled the he rolled his deed die and everything, but he didn't explain what he was trying to do. I said, "No, you've got to explain your deed. Tell him what you're trying to accomplish, and so on." Oh, that matters. Yes, it does. You don't just get to randomly pick it, and so on. But anyway, it was it's in that same vein is explaining what you're trying to do. Um, okay, get it. The game master starts thinking about it. The table's thinking about it. The dice hit the table. The bennies are spent. All the things happen. And you say, yes, you succeeded. And um, you hack the wizard's knees off from under him with your axe. You bash him over the edge of the cliff, and he falls to his death because of the D die and everything else, which is the thing that happened this last weekend. Um, so that's really cool. But by explaining your intent in a form of a question, like, I want to do this. I think this is how I'm going to do it, right? That goes a long way. And um, <sighs> the other thing is that when players are trying – it's just when you're trying to get your point across to Tony's – to tony's question i find that that really really helps and the other thing is if you want to if you don't know that your group game master or whatever likes to have you just spout lore and just fill in blanks like in a dungeon world game some people may not groove on that so by asking you know what do i know about vulcans i mean i grew up on earth and there's vulcans why why don't i know about this um Having them tell you, yes, you do know this about Vulcans, that would make sense right now, great, thank you. Or having the game master look at you and say, well, what do you know about Vulcans? And having you then explain yourself and uh, kind of spout the lore and fill in the gaps, that helps you figure out, do you ask and then get told what you do, or are you allowed to fill in the space? Now, I know you were kind of fiddling with the mic there, but did what I say make sense? Anything you want to add to that?
0: No, it does make perfect sense, thanks.
1: Now, when you have, from your perspective as a player, is there have you run into any types of questions or anything that you've had? Have you had examples of when it's gone bad where you're trying to get your point across and nobody seems to pay a fucking attention to you?
0: No, I don't think it. I don't think it happens that that often. But it does happen. Uh, I think. it I mean, it, <laughs> whenever you're dealing with role playing games and situations that we talk about for the last 150 some episodes and other podcasts have brought up, you're gonna run into. You're gonna run into stuff that just doesn't yeah. You're running you're gonna run into issues, man. <laughs> exactly. Mm.
1: But I really think that the um the other thing, one of the things that Tony brings up when he says I often serve as a translator between the other players and the GM to help enable them to get their point across. If you're going to be a good player, in my opinion, if you have someone like Tony and you're struggling and you got a you got a brother like Tony sitting across from you and he's helping you out you got Anne sitting across the table, or Eileen, or whomever is helping you figuring this stuff out. And Emily says, "Hey, um, I think what Brett's trying to say is this." You go, "Oh yeah, that is what I'm trying to say." It's fine to rely on them to help you, but try to learn from that. When you see the other players doing really well, if you're active at the table not building dice pyramids or whatever else they are fucking doing, waiting for your turn. If you're paying attention to the other players, and you notice that you know Mo never has this problem. Every time Tucson O brings up what he wants to accomplish or any question he asks, he always gets a really kick-ass answer. Whenever I ask, it's not working. What am I doing wrong? Uh, Paying attention to the other players in the group, especially if you're new to the group, you can figure out dynamics. Um, Sometimes it's something as horrible as, oh, the Game Master only likes this person and uh, plays favorites because that person's a dick. Okay, bad Game Master. The other time, though, most times, in my experience, is that the Game Master and that player there's a rapport built up. And if you want to gain the same type of rapport, uh, one way is to kind of follow that lead. If you have a player who asks really good questions, always seems to get good answers, try to mock that, i.e. copy it. And um, that's a really good way to up your game from a player perspective. If you have somebody there who seems to be doing better than you, copy them. There's there's no there's no shame in that. Steal, steal the hell out of that shit. If somebody knows how to do it better than you, Especially if it's in a group, um, and everyone else in the group is act, is saying and talking a certain way to get all this really cool data, and you're the new player, figure out how they're working and do the same thing. That will take a long way. Yes, <sighs> I think that's a, I think that's all I've got, man. Anything? I, boy, good lord, I talked too much these last two episodes. It's just been, it's Holy like, cow, been a cow, man. babbling show. I'm sorry.
0: I think we summed it up pretty relatively nicely. I think we did. I started getting a little all over the place with the Star Trek thing, but whatever.
1: No, I think that's actually a good point, though, is when some of the frustration in a Star Trek setting or something where it is, honest to God, unknown. Nobody's ever seen this before. I don't know what the fuck this is. And you're like, well, but I have this massive amount of knowledge I'm going to run across it. But how many times ago, there's nothing on this on our charts. There's nothing in our system. Our database has nothing on this. It's totally fucking new and you've got to figure it out. And if if you can't – if you're asking questions and just getting frustrated, changing your approach, um, I want to try to do this, how would I go about doing it, is a lot better than just getting pissed off. Well, I try computers. That doesn't work. I try languages. That doesn't work. I don't fucking know what to do. throw a tricorder against the wall. Does that fucking work? You know, um, don't do that. Explain your intent and uh, say, I want to do it like this. How would I do that? Ending the intention with that question will get you a lot farther, I think. So,
0: all right. Yeah. Well, I well, hope we hopefully we uh, gave something for Tony to chew on.
1: Hopefully. And, Tony, obviously, we're probably wrong. So, uh, come back and tell us what where we missed the mark, and uh, we'll be happy to, to come back at it.
0: All right. Let's get into Die Roll. Let's go. Die Roll. Brett, you got any this week or no? I do
1: not. I am short this week. Okay. My bad. On to you, sir.
0: All right. So the first thing I want to put out there is the Dave Russell Memorial Geek Auction, which is going to be on September 1st. So it's not going to be long after this episode drops, 2017. But Mo Toussaint up in Windsor, Canada, uh, asked us to spread the word. We have put it out on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Google+. So Dave passed away. And he had a dream uh, of making a geek-top, Geektropolis, um, which is a place for all gamers to meet, uh, do geeky things, game, etc. Kind of a coffee shop, hybrid kind of thing. And so Mo is on a quest to make Dave's dream come true. And so he's going to have an auction on September 1st. They also do have a GoFundMe if you just want to straight up, you know, donate a few bucks to to that um to that effort. Um there is we'll have a link in the show notes where it's posted on Facebook and kind of explains a little bit about what Mo and, and Dave had in mind, uh Dave specifically and what he was trying to do. I think it was underway and construction because there's pictures of like trying to put something together and um Mo, Mo asked if we could spread the word. So, that's what we're doing. Now, my second one, FFG, or Fantasy Flight Games, is going to re-release the D6 Star Wars, originally published uh, West End Games. Did you say that last week? I don't know, Brett.
1: Um, Honestly, I don't remember if I did. I think you might remember. Don't, but regardless, it's worth mentioning. There are a ton of Star Wars people out there.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this is in... The 30th anniversary of the game that was released 30 years ago, West End Games, the D6 system. Many of you know what this is. Many of you may not, but it was one of the first Star Wars role-playing games published.
1: You know, Um, just for a second, we say, you know, D&D, 30-plus years old. Wow, it's been around for a long time. 50 years of Gen Con, blah, blah, blah. Star Wars, D6, 30 years ago. Holy cow. Wow! Yeah, I mean, we were teenagers when that hit, man. That's that's crazy, time. That's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the original, my original book. Um, but if you haven't or you needed a refreshed copy, they're going to re-release them, reprint them. They are gonna do some modification tweaks to them, but uh, essentially keep the core for the most part. So there's a link in our show notes that will take you to Fantasy Flight Games and explain to you what they're doing and. I don't know the cost or anything, but wouldn't it be awesome if it was like thirty year ago price? oh that would be great yeah, that would be that would I think be great. my book might have, i think my book was twenty bucks maybe I don't know,
1: yeah, I remember I think it yeah, probably about that I remember my first a d and d hardcover was like fifteen dollars and I was like, oh my God, that's a lot of money for a book <laughs>
0: uh and then the last point Eric farmer uh friend uh and Eli Kurtz, another friend, recorded a video. About designing an ideal kung fu RPG. Hmm. So they, they're both in, uh, well, at least I know Eli, and part of it is uh, Bloodstone RPG was incorporating fantasy with kind of Wushu. And they must uh Eric must have pinged them, and they got in uh, had a hangout and recorded it talking about making an ideal kung fu RPG and what would go into it. So if you're interested Shoot. in checking those two. Um, talk about that and their insights, then uh, I encourage you to do that. We'll have a link in the show note for that. All right. So I might have lost Brett because, oh, there he is. Sorry about that. Yeah, everything, uh, my VoIP dropped on me there, so my bad. Ah, Okay. Um. I think that's it for the show this week um i didn't have any i might have had some listeners but i might have overlooked it and i apologize if somebody submitted some stuff for die and we didn't get in oh, get into
1: we're still getting back on track after the delays and sean sucking up all the limelight as usual right gotta be important you know gotta oh well, yeah
0: <laughs> look at me hey i'm hurt Be was hey, paying hey, attention hey, to bread oh sympathy. yeah fuck that crash there we go <laughs> make some sympathy all right oh speaking of which i wanted to thank um mark tosaka uh, for the nice flowers um that was very nice i appreciate it thank you um and again all thoughts well wishes can't can't thank everybody enough so thank you so much i appreciate that Corey dirty bugger thank you as well uh i'll have to give you an a nuggy, a snuggy, come game home or something.
1: Just jump on a big guy, and give him a hug. He'll be happy. That's right.
0: All right. Next week, Brett. What are we talking about? You know, I got a couple different
1: things in the hopper. I want been wanting to talk about. One of them is kind of the the concept of the toolbox game. And I've got a few things to chat through. What you know? What I'm thinking though. What I'm really leaning towards, Sean, is the random character generation versus like a point spend. What do you do you have any do you have any feelings on that? Does that does that bother you? Do you care, Sean? Uh
0: I'm trying to think does that go back to the roll your own episode? Kind of, it's similar to that. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Just dumb thinking. So
1: anyway, I'm not sure. Short version is I'm not sure yet. I see. I see. We'll see. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Well, hopefully entertaining. We'll see what we get into.
0: But hopefully it'll be one of those things.
1: Hopefully. If not, surprise.
0: <laughs> surprise. It's not. <laughs> You're gonna be bored out of your mind. Oh. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Burp, 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 <laughs> all right, well, hey, on that note, <laughs> Lord, this, is, this has been another episode of the GBS. I'm on your host Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This, this has been a Litterbox Box Studio, Studio production. production.